back in reminding us of the good news of the gospel so that we can, as we go through this life, we know and understand that my life is found in Christ and Christ alone. And all those that bear the name of Jesus that belong to him, that have been reborn, know that they're on an ongoing process of sanctification. And I promise you, um, as a man, as a pastor of this church, um, as a dad, as a husband, I wouldn't wish this process of sanctification over the past month on anyone, not even my enemies. Um, but God is good. So as I stand here before you and tell you about the love of God, know that I believe it more than ever right now. I believe it more than ever. And so I encourage you, listen to my heart that is aching and yearning for eternity. Um, I don't just want you to listen to me because I'm grieving right now and my heart is grieving and my wife is grieving. I want you to listen to, to me because God's heart is yearning for you. And we see that here in this passage. We see that here. Claire read it. I'm not going to read it again. I'm going to read the first two verses. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Listen to the voice of the Lord. Do not harden your hearts right now. Do you hear how he is speaking to you? Do you understand this? And this is what's so dangerous about this this, uh, this verse, this section, and this is what's so dangerous about living in the Bible Belt is you hear this and you hear John three sixteen, and you hearken back to the, the first time that you sat in a church and you probably memorize it. Maybe you memorize it around your grandmother's table. Maybe you memorize it because there was a, a children's pastor that was gonna give you a sucker. I remember the first time that I memorized it, it was, a, it was a, at a BBS. BBS, I was around six years old at First Baptist Church in Bowie, Texas. And I remember thinking, what if the pastor calls on me during this VBS and I get to, to say this verse and everyone's gonna be so impressed. And that's why, that's why I wanted to know it. I wanted to know it so that people would look at me and say like that, Cody McMurray, uh, son of Todd and Mitzi, gonna be a great man someday. He's got John three sixteen memorized, you know? And so it's dangerous because there's so many of us that have a similar story to that, to where this verse is not revolutionary, it's boring. It's boring to our hearts. Because like, ah, you know, Tim Tebow put that on, on his, you know, little face paint in that 2009 national championship game and, and something like 300 million people Googled John 3.16. The fact that 300 million people or whatever the actual statistic is. It like broke the internet. Who's looking up John 3.16 during uh, that national championship game? It's, an, it's, it's revolutionary, this verse. It can be, or it can be something that we, that we just yawn at. It can be something that we're bored by. And here's the thing. If you have actually had an encounter with the love of God that John 3, 16 through 21 is actually talking about, there's no way that this can be boring to you. There's no way. You'd get up here and you'd beg me, hey, Cody, can you mention it week and week after week after week? Can you put it on our social media again? Can we put it in front of our eyes? Why? Because it is our life. 
It is the lifeblood of who we are experiencing the love of God. I've, I've explained it to you this way in various ways, but it, uh, it's interesting that in my life, I've seen two different train wrecks to where, you know, obviously that is a disaster, but I'll tell you what happens in those train wrecks that, I, that I've witnessed. Everything is drastically different afterwards. Well, the first time I saw a train wreck, I was with my dad and we were on our way to, I think, to Cater or go, going down to the, uh, to the Metroplex somewhere. And uh, we saw a, a train sideswipe a car and everything about that was differently. I, I, we saw cars stopping and pulling over to see if, how they could help. We called 911 immediately and there'd already been uh, five or six phone calls of 911 and, and the wreckage and the dirt that was flown up was, was catastrophic. And, and the, the reason I bring this up is not to talk about the, the terribleness of train, train encounters. The, the, my, my point is this, which is bigger? If a tr an encounter with a train can stop all of our reality to where we make sure that we get, get the help in, that's needed, how can an encounter with God not be more revolutionary? If we've actually had an encounter with the love of God, wouldn't it be transformational? Wouldn't our understanding of how we should order society and how we should operate in this world, in this world and how we should treat our family and how we should treat our spouse and how we should treat our, our, our college roommates, wouldn't that be, wouldn't that completely change everything if we've had a true encounter with God as John chapter three, verse 16 through 21 is talking about? It would absolutely change everything. And today, today, even though you've heard this over and over again, if you're bored by it, I would say you've never actually had an encounter with the love of God. I would say that again. If you're bored by this, there's no possible way that the real love of God has ever penetrated the depths of your heart. Because those that have had an encounter with God are completely changed. And my hope for you, Redeemer Church, is that you would experience today, whenever you hear the voice of the Lord speaking, not audibly, but louder than that, in the depths of your heart, come home, you answer him. You answer him with a resounding yes, so that you may know the height and the depth and the width and the breadth of the love of God for you in Christ Jesus our Lord. May we not treat this verse as a magical Christian incantation that we just kind of sprinkle it around and it makes us have warm fuzzies deep inside, but we treat it for what it actually is. We treat it for what it actually is. The words of life that can bring your dry dead bones, your dry dead soul alive to God. You see, that's how God calls us to encounter him. It has to be experienced, it has to be tasted, it has to be seen. Okay, we, we, my wife and I, with our, our kids, we went to the zoo yesterday and we saw ads about this really cool thing that I'd never done before, which was pet stingrays. And I wanted to make sure, you know, that thing that, you know, got uh, Crocodile Dundee, not Crocodile Dundee, the other guy, you know what I'm talking about. Um, uh, yeah, Steve Irwin. Uh, I was like, I want to make sure that that thing's far away from my kids. Thank you. Adam, new guy, he's, he's already participating. Um, I wanted to make sure that was far away and I asked that question. Obviously they didn't have little barbs and they couldn't electrocute us or, or whatever they do. But, but we could go in and we could pet them. 
We could go in and we could pet them. And we saw the advertisements for it and we were excited about the advertisements. And then we saw the advertisements whenever we actually walked in. I was like, oh, that's the place we could actually go there. And then we had to go in and pay. And there's a drastic difference between us building it up in our head and actually going through and doing it. You see, see, whenever we build it up in our head, there's a difference in saying, hey, it might be cool someday to go pet stingrays, and then it's a totally different, wild, crazy experience to actually touch them and to know the sliminess of them and know how they feel. See, what Jesus wants from us is he wants us to have an encounter, an experience with him. Not this American church, I have the Sunday school answers up in my head. I have it something somewhere up in here, but yet my life is not permanently changed. This is the call of our text today because our call today is a continuation of where I left off. <laughs> like, like there's been so much and we went into chapter four and like we did that whole story and now we're back. And I know for you type A types, uh, you're just like, this is completely unacceptable, but I'm sorry, you just gotta deal with it. This is where I was going. <laughs> we'll, jump, we'll jump back in and get back on track whenever um, soon enough, okay? But this is a continuation from our text whenever Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. And he, he says right before this that the Son of Man must be lifted up. He must be lifted up on a pole the same way the, bron the, the serpent, bronze serpent was lifted up in the book of Numbers in the Old Testament. Why, here's the question, why must the Son of God be lifted up? Our text tells us very plainly because he so loved, because he so loved that we must understand the depths of his love. So let's go even deeper. How can we understand the depths of his love? Well, first, let's look what God gave us to display this love. What did God give us? For God so loved the world that he gave what? He gave a set of moral codes and moral doctrines. He gave us the word of God so that we can study it and know the character of God. No, he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but be given eternal life. So what's eternal life? What's, what's eternal life? How, do, how does the media portray eternal life? That's a good question. Let's start there. How does the media portray eternal life? Eternal life is uh, boring, right? There's a lot of classical music up there. It's floaty. There's a lot of clouds, maybe some harps, a little bit, a little bit of uh, Philadelphia cream cheese, according to the media, right? Spread it on a bagel, you know? It's a little floaty place. Maybe you've heard it in the country music that it's a family reunion or something like that. Or maybe you've heard a very me-centric understanding of what eternal life is. Me-centric being, you know what, in, in, in the life to come, I can fly. Maybe you're, you're five foot two and you've always wanted, wondered what it means to dunk a basketball. Not on this goal, but on that goal, all right? And, and, and maybe in, the, in your version of heaven, you thought, well, you know what? I'm gonna have a 48 inch vertical jump whenever I get to the new heavens and new earth. And that's what gets you excited. Or maybe you think I'm gonna be a, a fast runner or a really good football player because I could never make it, make it as a linebacker in the NFL, but I'll be a part of the uh, um, H, FL, the heaven football league, and I'll be on the pro team there. And you thought, you thought to yourself, I, maybe I'll be there, I'll be able to run a sub 40 or sub four minute mile and a four, three forty. And it's just, a, uh, maybe it's all centered around just all the things that you've wanted here on earth. And by the way, I, I'm giving a lot of me examples here. Um, I'm not five foot two though. Everything else applied to me. 
So I don't know if you're there with me. And you think to yourself, man, heaven will be great because I will get to do all the things that I can't do here. Man, what does the Bible say eternal life is? Because all that sounds very man-centric, because it is. John goes on to tell us in the high priestly prayer, whenever he heard Jesus say this, and Jesus defines what eternal life is in John chapter 17, verse three. There's another memory verse that I encourage you to store away and bank for a later time. John 17, verse three, it says, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. This word know here is the Greek word gnosko, is the Greek word gnosko. And this is a very important word because this is the word that is used whenever, uh, whenever it talks about Mary having a virgin birth. It said, and Joseph did not know his wife until after Jesus was born. Now think about that. That talks about the deepest, most gentle, most vulnerable part of our relationship to another human being. Deep intimacy, deep vulnerability, deep self-sacrifice. And it's saying this is what eternal life is like, knowing God that way, having such a deep fellowship with him. So having such a deep intimacy to where there's nothing about your life that isn't shared with before God. You are a blank check before God. And he knows the innermost parts of you. And you delight in sharing the innermost parts of your wicked, sinful heart to him. And he comes towards you with love, with this gnosko love, with his gentleness. Eternal life is the life of God entering into, entering into the soul of a person, deep in your heart, in your heart. And I, I've described to you, what is the heart according to the Bible? The heart is the control center of your life. It's what makes all the decisions. No, it's not the brain, it's the heart according to the Bible. From the overflow of the mouth, the, from the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, the Bible says. So the center, control center of your life is the heart. And that part of you, that part of us has to be connected with God. Well, here's my question. Redeemer, is your heart connected to God? Is your heart connected to God the way that the Bible demands that it be connected? You say, Cody, how how can I know? The Bible talks about evaluating your own life, evaluating your heart. 2 Corinthians 13 verse five says, examine yourself and see whether you're in the faith. Test yourself, or do you not know, or do you not realize that you yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? Do you know that? Do you know deep in your heart that, that, that Jesus Christ is with you? And you say, Cody, what is this test that Paul is talking about? Well, let me ask you this. What is your primary motivator in life? What, what motivates you? What, what gets you up in the morning? How do you process through this life? Are you constantly in survival mode? Are you controlled? as I used to be, by my stomach, by my fears, by my anxiety? Are you controlled by this constant need to be seen as a good man or a good woman? What is Paul talking about? What he's talking about is trying to help us understand what it means to examine ourselves, to examine. Do you think about the things of God? What is at the control center of your life? What is at the center of it? Is it God? Or is it something else? Friends, notice what I'm saying here. Notice what I'm asking you to really consider. I'm not asking you, I'm really not asking you 
to say, is it advantageous for me to go to church or not? Is it advantageous for me to have uh, my Bible or my moral, my moral code come from the Bible? That's not what I'm asking you. I'm asking you, is the primary motivation of how you're processing through your career, how you're processing through how you interact with your friends, how you're processing through your parenting, how you're processing through how you deal with employees, how you're processing through everything in your life, first centered around God, what, would, what do you have for me today? God, how can, I, how can I be filled up with you? Is your first inclination of your heart thinking, God, what are you doing in my life? And how can I, how can I partner with you step by step? This is the test. This is the test that Paul is, Paul is talking about. He's trying to help us to understand, to see what. Because listen, I'm gonna say some things that are gonna be a little bit in your face, a little bit in your face. So be prepared to either say amen or just ouch, you know? Just follow along with me because this is, this is just hard. Following Jesus is really hard. And I don't wanna be hard for the sake of being hard. I wanna be hard for the sake of waking us up if it saves one of us in this room. Because the reality is, is we live in this very postmodern society whenever it comes to Christianity. Yes, even in the Bible Belt. We think in the Bible Belt that if we ask Jesus to come into our heart at a vacation Bible school a long time ago, that he definitely came in then. It doesn't matter how you've lived for the last decade, maybe two decades at all that if you did something long ago in the past and it has absolutely not affected your life whatsoever, we think to ourselves, that has to be what salvation is. And that's like saying, I just had an encounter with a train five minutes ago before I got up here on this stage. And you say, Cody, I think if you had an encounter with a train, you would be a little different. I think you'd look a little different. You'd probably smell a little different. You'd talk a little different. Everything about you would be different, wouldn't it be? Yes if we've had an encounter with God in this, in this room, we cannot say that our life is just like the world around us. There has to be something that is drastically, drastically different. And if we live in this postmodern understanding of ask Jesus in your heart and he will definitely come in and then listen, you get to find what your heart is, you get to find what sin is, you get to find everything everything about this little uh, Bible Belt ritual in our lives. You get to define it all. It's not defined by the Bible whatsoever. You get to find it, declares you. And then you say, I'm safe in the arms of God. And then you go to church and you try to get a little bit of morality, you try to get a little, a little bit of way of talking about your, um, God with your friends whenever it's advantageous for you to talk about God with your friends. You see how dangerous, how dangerous it is to live in the Bible Belt. That we, that we think that, oh, everyone knows this. This is why we don't evangelize. This is why we don't do so many different motivations because we're wrapped around, not, not the good news of the gospel, but we're wrapped around the one that says, I'm the father of lies. Don't you see how serious it is to examine ourselves, to see whether our heart leaps for joy whenever we hear the words, for God so loved. For God so loved the world. Do you see it? Is it deep? Is it deep in you? Listen, I encourage you. If you know, if you know in your heart that I've been walking with the Lord and he is at the control center of my life, one of the tests that um, you can know that is whenever you go through the deepest possible 
pain, the deepest possible suffering, and you say deep in your heart, whom am I in heaven but you? And in earth there's none that I desire besides you, though my heart and my flesh and my family may fail. You are the desires of my heart and my portion forever and ever. Amen. God, be you. God, be the glory. God, you can give. You can take away. It's okay. Brought my treasure and delight is in you. Is this the primary motivation of your heart, Redeemer? I want it to be. I want this to be the primary motivation of Evan's heart. I want this to be the primary motivation of Brooke's heart. I want this to be the primary motivation of Cannon's heart. I want to raise them up in the instruction and the discipline of the Lord so that they know, so that they know the height and the depth and the width of the breadth of the love of God for them. They know that the, the, the contingency of God's love for them is even while they were yet sinners, Christ, Christ died for them. And listen, my heart before you right now is that you know that too that in the midst of the deepest possible pain that, you, that, the, that this world can throw at you, you say, God, you are my refuge. You are my strength. Christ, you are my king. I live for you. I'm living this life for you, and I will see you one day, and that brings me great joy. Can you pass that test, Redeemer? Is that the primary motivation of your heart? Because this is the life this is the hope. This is the truth that God wants to give you. This is the assurance that God wants to give you in this life. Run to him. Receive the salvation that the Lord has for you today. How do you receive it? You receive it entirely as a gift. There is no way that you can merit this. There is no way that you can earn God's favor. Because remember who Jesus is talking about we're talking to during this. He's talking to Nicodemus. Nicodemus was the best Jew that has probably ever lived. He had the Old Testament memorized and he said, all of that is rubbish, Nicodemus. You have to be born again. You have to have the, the, the light of your, your heart, the, the eyes of your heart and alive. That's not right, that's not the right word. <laughs> but it kind of captures the, the essence in a, in a weird, grammatically incorrect way, you have, your, the eyes of your heart have to come alive to God. And, and no longer can you look to God as a bunch of memory verses and a bunch of moral code because all of that is rubbish compared to the, the surpassing greatness of gnosgoing God, of knowing God deeply. And the only way you can have eyes to see this is if you're born again. Nicodemus, do you see this? You have to receive this as a gift. Is the Lord calling you to this gift? Where, what's the posture of your heart? Is it arms wide open right now? I, God, do it. God, do it. Because I wanna point you to one of the most famous verses in all the Bible. It's quoted all the time in the New Testament. And it's actually goes back to Habakkuk chapter two, verse four. It says, but the righteous shall live by faith. The righteous shall live by faith. And the only way that you receive the gift of God is through faith and faith alone. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, whenever he was preaching on this, he said something so profound. He says, if someone thinks they have made themselves to be a Christian, that they could get God under their thumb, I encourage you that they are not a Christian. The only way that you become a, a Christian is not by trying to earn God's favor. The only way is you receive it as a gift as a gift from God. So how do you embrace the, 
the no condemnation that the, this passage is talking about? How can you embrace no condemnation living to where you no longer, you no longer are trying to earn your way to God. You're no longer trying to have a me-centered faith to where your hope for heaven is centered around you. You're, 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 you know, the, the reason that you're gonna get there is all because of your own strength, power, piety, intellect. A couple of things you have to do is you have to believe. You have to believe in Jesus. You say, well, Cody, obviously, what does that mean? You believe in his person. You believe what scripture has to say about him, both old and new. You believe that he's the son of God. You believe that he was born of a virgin. You believe his record. You believe his record. In verse 18, it says, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is already condemned. And it's, this is not talking about your present posture right now. It's not talking about your eternal reality. This is talking about the sovereignty of God, knowing and declaring over mankind that those that believe will not be condemned and those that do not believe will be condemned. It's as simple as that. It's black and white. It's black and white. There's no almost there. You're either in or you're out. You're on the team or you're off the team. You're in the family or you're out of the family because he has not believed in the name of the only son. Verse 19, and this is the judgment that the light of the world has come in. That the light of the world has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. So you have to believe, you have to believe the good news of the person of Jesus Christ and you have to believe, listen to me, his works on your behalf. It's not just enough to say, I like the idea of Jesus. You have to believe what he has done in, in your place. That you are saved, not by your own strength, power, or piety, but you are saved by his strength, power, and piety. That he lived the perfect life that you should have lived. That he died the death that you should have died. That he rose again because he loves you and because he wants you to be with him forever. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Not because you measured up, but because he measured up. You think to yourself, because Jesus has come into the world, you say, oh, okay, well, Jesus came here, so surely God is gonna grade on a curve, right? No, Jesus is the curve buster. He's the curve buster. You have no chance. You have no chance. You will fail the test. If you break all 10 commandments, guess what? Which I do, and think about it, and you do too, then you're not getting in if that's the standard of God's righteousness. But the righteous shall live by faith. In the gospel, what we need to understand is that Jesus paid it all. Jesus paid it all, and then Jesus gave it all. Jesus paid it all, and then he gave it all. This isn't like carrots and sticks. It's not the cart, try to put the cart before the horse or anything like that, or try to um, whip the beast to get it to, to move a little bit faster. The gospel is this, that Jesus took the stick for us and that we get the carrot for free. We don't need any motivations, external motivations or moral conformity. What we need is faith in the work of Jesus on our behalf. He lived perfectly. He died unjustly for you and for me. Then he rose again for you and for me so that we could belong to him forever and ever. Last thing that you have to know is you have to have a clear understanding of who Jesus is and you have to have a clear understanding of who you are. 
What separates us? What's the distinction between us and the Lord? Do you think about this often? Does this drive part of your worship? It should. The difference between you and the Lord should drive you deep into the loving arms of his grace, deep into it. Or you will think that you'll be deluded by the father of lies by thinking, you know what? I've gone to church for two months straight. He's gotta be real, I'm correct. I've read my Bible for three months straight. There was that one time, but guess what? I was listening to a podcast during it and I think, I was, I think God counts that and I think, I, I think I'm okay. And we will slowly slip into God loves me because I'm awesome. God is lucky to have a, a guy or a girl like me who's worshiping him down here on this earth with all this mess going on and all this suffering. We have to know and understand what separates us from God. And that is our sin. That is our sin. You see, the control center of your life wants to be all about us. That's why I talked about all those examples earlier of why we want to go to heaven someday. It's so meat-centric. That's why our, that's why our media presents it that way, because we are self-centered. We are self-centered. We are different. We are different than our great God. And we so easily justify ourselves whenever we read this, this verse of John chapter three, verse 16, because we say, for God so loved me because of Jesus, yeah, but then I also give him all this obedience and he's really happy with that. See, this is such a slippery slope that I would encourage you, Redeemer, please, please abandon and recognize it. Use it as part of that test so that you can walk with him faithfully. Do you think that you are okay? What makes you feel like you're okay in this life? because you're a little bit more compassionate than those around you, because you have a little bit more money than those around you, because you think that if you had the money of those around you, then you would be way more generous than they are with their money? What, how do we process, see how we think about these things all the time. We think about all these different things that justify us and they're all centered on ourselves and we think that God is pleased with us because of the right thinking of the wedge issues that present themselves often in our life. But this is just to show us that verse 20 and 21 is true. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest the works, lest his works should be exposed. You see, another problem with us being in the Bible belt, look, look at me. Another problem with us being in the Bible belt is this is we think so often that if we can say the right words, if we belong to the right family, if we spend our time appropriately, then that's the standard. If we just go to church, do the things, do one nice thing per day, then God is so pleased. But friends, that's us being at the center of our heart. That's us using God. And this God that is the maker of heaven and earth could never be used by his creatures. Listen, are you in the light? Or are you in the dark? Because it's easy, listen, it's easy to learn Christian jargon and to fit in around here. But I call you to new birth. Listen, the Lord knows your deeds. He went to the cross for your deeds. Don't hide them. 
because you think that you will be unacceptable here. Confess them. Belong to God. Repent. Turn. Don't be the sinner of your life. Make him the sinner of your life. Is Jesus worth that to you? Is Jesus worth some light and momentary uncomfortability here? Because someone knows that you have a porn habit. Because someone knows that you are, um, have a deep anger issue that only your spouse knows right now. Because someone knows, it, or you're terrified that someone might find out something about you. Put that before the Lord. Confess it to this body and to say, and then say to yourself, Jesus, all I have is yours. Don't settle for the darkness. The light is so much better. The light is so much dark. The light is so much better. The darkness, all it does is lie. It says, if you expose that, your life will be ruined. Quite the opposite. If you expose it, you'll come to life for the first time. I call you to that this morning. Are you in the light or are you in the dark? Is Jesus worth it? Is Jesus worth it? Those that um, will believe in the good news and those that are, have maybe heard the voice of the Lord, though it come through me, a broken, sinful man, I encourage you, don't wait. Don't wait. If you hear the voice of the Lord, listen, there's no point in, in, pointing, in putting this off to a later date. Oh, I'll figure that out once I start um, getting a couple of good deeds under my belt. Or I'll, I'll, after a couple of weeks of uh, kicking this habit over here, then maybe, maybe I can go before the church and I can go, go before my spouse and I can go before my, my roommates that I live with and I can say, hey, this is who I am. I've been playing a game and now, now I belong to God. Don't do it, don't wait. That's another lie from that, from that guy that says he wants to preserve your life but really wants to steal it. Come to the Lord, come to the Lord. Don't let your heart be burdened by your sin anymore. Embrace no condemnation living. Understand the good news of the gospel that there is nothing you can do to be acceptable before God. So stop pretending, run to him. Run to him today. Go to him now. Do not allow another moment to pass. The old hymn says, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to thy, thy cross I cling, naked come to thee for dress, helpless look to thee for grace. Foul I to the mountain, or fountain fly, wash me, Savior, or I will die. Wash me, Savior, or I will die. Have you received the new birth washing of the blood of Jesus in your place. I call you to that today. And those that, you, you think this is an evangelistic sermon, and those that um, are being sanctified right now, come to the blood of Jesus. Let him wash over you afresh and anew. Be reminded of who you are in Christ. Run to him, worship him. Worship him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Rejoice in what he has done over you. And you will be clean and you will begin to experience the, the grace of living life of extreme purpose. Isn't your double life exhausting? Isn't your triple, tri triple life exhausting teenagers in this room? One way with my friends, one way with my mom, one way with my dad, one way at church, 
Isn't that exhausting? Run to Christ and you experience the freedom that he has for 